This time on the Rule Right Radio podcast with New York Mike. If we depend on the media to translate and report on an ongoing basis what's going on with this huge decision, is it going to be colored towards the left or the right? It'll be colored towards the pro-choice. You know it. And I hope I'm wrong. I hope I'm a big skeptic for nothing, but I'm pretty convinced of it. We don't hear them talk about shutting down pipelines and shutting down oil and gas leases and increasing taxes. They talk about, were they going to raise interest rates? What's the effect going to be? This is what the job is. And what disturbed Paul most of all was that the media isn't shedding any real light on what happened in Afghanistan. And we're starting to let that go. Why isn't that on the front page every day? He wears black denim trousers and motorcycle boots and a black leather jacket with his name on the back. He does a patriotic podcast called Roll Right Radio. His name is New York Mike, and welcome to the show. This is Roll Right Radio. I'm New York Mike. Roll Right Radio. We're on. And I'm New York Mike. Thanks for listening. Appreciate you being there. Thanks for subscribing. Tell your friends. So everyone knows, I mean, I've been broadcasting from the road for the last couple of weeks. And this is the tail end. Heading back. Interestingly, left Dallas last night. So it was September that Robert and I left Dallas on our motorcycles and we went from Dallas to Deming, New Mexico, pretty close to 800 miles, and then from Deming home. And this could be the same thing. The only difference is, of course, I'm in the car. (laughs) It's a lot easier, so I'm thinking, hey, I can relax. It's going to be a piece of cake. Doing it on the bikes, man, it wasn't terrible. I mean, we left Dallas kind of early. I remember specifically when we checked into that hotel in Deming, it was a quarter to eight. And the first thing Robert looked at me and said, hey, you going to do your podcast? Yeah, let's, let's get that done. So anyway, yeah, it's been a great trip. I'll tell you that. And, and a lot about this trip has been great. It was fantastic. To do the whole, you know, Petrina's whole family thing in Ormond Beach. That was awesome. That was great. Spending time in that part of Florida. I wish I had, had the time to see friends and do other things. But on the way there, and just to go over ground we've already talked about, I stopped in Panama City back in the 60s when I used to go down to Hurlbut Field. We'd be down in Fort Walton Beach. It's all on that Gulf Coast, what's called the Redneck Riviera. So we would skip from Fort Walton down to Panama City. In between was places like Destin. Destin was just way upscale for us. You know, you're in the military, you want to have a good time, a little bit of rowdy, whatever. So Fort Walton was cool. Panama City was great. Yeah, Destin was a little upscale. All these years later, I got these great memories. The beach, the white sands, that whole lifestyle. And I know that things have probably changed, but I, I don't know. I just had this feeling I want to be there. And of course, my buddy Boomer, 
who's got a house in Panama City and goes down and he's been telling me for over a year now, oh, you're going to love it down there. I got a house. I got the Jeep in the garage. The keys are in it. Just take it. Anyway, on the way, I stopped in Panama City and it was great. Time stood still. I was back in the 50s and the 60s. It was like nothing changed. It's all here. So I left Ormond Beach early, left Petrina with a family a day early. And then driving home, I said, I'm going to stop in Panama City because I, I just felt so comfortable. It felt so like this is home. And I get there and it was just a big coincidence that my friend Rich has been working. He buys investment properties all over and some of them are in Detroit and crazy places. And he tells me, I'm buying a piece of property in Panama City. So I get there, meet the agent he's dealing with, and I'm like, wait a minute. I could buy some great investment property right here on Panama City Beach. This is insane. And so I spend a couple of days in this vacation. I call and I say, this is a place. Then it's seven months of spring break, <laughs> including, by the way, two major Holly rallies, Thunder on the Beach in uh, the spring and Thunder on the Beach in the fall. And I've known about them for a long time, but I've never been there for either one of them. So went there, visited the Harley dealer. I mean, it was just like a great eye-opening kind of a wow for this thing. So. But I left on Sunday, got to get back and um, working on some projects. I expect to be back in Panama City, I don't know, in a month, two months. It might be where Petrina and I settled, maybe not, but it's definitely just a great place. So I leave and then I call my buddy Dan Sullivan from Atlanta, who I've known forever and owns the Harley dealer there. And I called Dan because I'm going, wait a minute, if I go see Heather, and I wanted to go to Atlanta anyway to see some other places, I want to see Falcon Fury, Harley Davidson, I want to get there, visit it. And so I called Dan, and it, it turns out he's at his house in South Carolina on Lake whatever that he just got into a few months ago. And he's like, Mikey, come on down, spend the night. So Sunday night. I spent the night with Dan and his wife, Michelle, and what a spectacular house on the lake with a dock and a boat and the whole thing. Just totally phenomenal. And they were great hosts, made me a great dinner. I said, this is really nice. So, well, it turns out, I check out my GPS the next morning. Say, well, let me see. I know it's got to be yeah, within a couple hundred miles of where Heather lives. Turn on my GPS, boom. 52 miles away. So Monday, I go to Heather's house, spend the day with my daughter, dinner at night with the family in the tent. It was great. Stayed at Heather's house, left Heather's house Tuesday morning. And I had called my friend Paul Cray, Boomer's brother, by the way, who lives in Dallas, just north of Dallas. And I said, listen, I'm coming through, man. Because I was up in Heather's, I'm on the 20, going to run through, and I'm going to stop, and let's get together. And he goes, great. So, interestingly, 
As I take off and leave Heather's, I go from South Carolina that night. I stopped in Meridian, Mississippi. And the next day, I'm riding through Meridian, listening to the radio. And what's on the most fascinating program, which is listening to the Supreme Court argument about the Mississippi law that says that you can't have an abortion after 15 weeks of pregnancy. So you can only have an abortion during the first 15 weeks. And then it comes up as a whole big effort to overturn Roe v. Wade. And I drive right across the state. And for the entire drive, it was like two hours from Meridian to Vicksburg. It's a couple of hundred miles. And it's during that time that I'm listening to the Supreme Court argue the Mississippi law. Now, that doesn't mean a lot to you guys. I just find it those kind of serendipitous, random you know, factors. It just, just knocked me for a loop. Here I am listening to the Supreme Court of the United States argue this law in Mississippi. That's what gets to the Supreme Court. And is just the biggest news of, I mean, it's huge. And I happen to be riding through this. Okay, I'm not going to make a big deal. It's a big deal to me. What can I say? So we're going to talk about that SCOTUS thing. And this isn't going to be a very long podcast because I'm trying to get back on the road. I want to get home. I got plenty of notes here. Don't worry about that. But there's more that I really want to get into because there's, there is a lot to talk about in America today. Now, of course, this Supreme Court, listening to the arguments, maybe I'd done that before, but I don't remember. This was compelling. And here it is, randomly, as I'm going through Mississippi, I know I said it before, and I get it on the radio, and I'm listening to, why would I listen to that? I would change the channel. I want to hear current news. I mean, obviously, you can't find Rush Limbaugh anymore, but there are different outlets out there I listen to, Patriot Radio stuff and different things. Fox Business. Now, I really like Fox Business. So, yeah, Stuart Varney. And, I mean, there's some good stuff. But, you know, I listened to this, and it was fascinating. It really was fascinating. I could just talk about that the whole time for the next whatever because I don't want to just dominate this with that be honest I listen but I'm driving you know you listen to Justice Sotomayor totally liberal justice and then you listen to Justice Kavanaugh totally conservative justice and then you know Comey Barrett and you're listening to the arguments, and everybody says, don't try to guess the outcome from the, the opening remarks. It's going to be hard to do because this is something that they're going to be going over for months. And they're not going to come out with you know anything until May or June or whatever. So it's going to be a long time, and that's fine. But what I found compelling wasn't whether it's going to be the end of Roe v. Wade or are they just going to approve Mississippi's law or is that 
going to be the law of the land for the whole country. There's so much about that that I don't understand. I'm not going to pretend to. I listen to it. I think I have a much better understanding about that now than I did. But there's a lot more that needs to be learnt in order to say that, oh, yeah, you understand this, because there's implications everywhere. The one thing that I will say that I got is that, yes, I could see where the commentators were saying this could end up being some sort of a compromise that doesn't undo Roe v. Wade, but brings it into compliance with the Mississippi law. And, and that would be a compromise rather than overturning Roe v. Wade. But what's going to be the reaction from the left, the reaction? Nobody gets everything they want. And some people really get things that if you feel entitled to have Roe v. Wade give you the right to have abortions right up to and after childbirth. I mean, come on. And if it gets restricted down, now it says in Roe v. Wade, no abortion after 24 weeks. And yet there's still, you can have abortion right to when you're giving birth and afterwards. So I don't understand all of that. This argument is going to bring all this stuff to the surface. And we're, we're all going to be super knowledgeable experts about Roe v. Wade. So I'm trying to understand this and I get what I get. But the fascinating thing, what I really got was a great appreciation for the Supreme Court members. I got to listen to them. the ones that I agree with, the ones I don't agree with. And I got to like Sotomayor, and I got to like Kagan, who stood out, as did Barrett and Kavanaugh and Justice Thomas. Clarence Thomas is clearly <laughs> the eldest statesman. I don't know why he's not the chief justice. So anyway, listen to him. the way that they go at each other and the way they question, it's respectful, it's civil, it's intellectual. You could see the way they pose their questions. It really was fascinating to give me insight to how this is going to come out. It doesn't. And I heard the different commentators on different stations say, oh, this is probably this and the pro-life is, a, they probably like that. And the pro-choice, nah, I don't really think you could do that. Clearly, you're going to have an opinion, but the way that the justices posed their, whether it was their opinions, their answers, or the questions, and most of it was questions, clearly the Sotomayor comment about the stench of politics, there was no question about that comment. And it was simply that the worst thing that can happen is that you're going to politicize the Supreme Court. If you've just brought up this issue because you have a majority of conservatives on the Supreme Court, now you're going to overthrow Roe v. Wade. Well, then when we have a majority, that's not the way to do it. And they talk about this process that we keep on hearing the word stare decisis, which obviously talks refers to precedent. 
the fact that something has been in law for all this time, you don't just overthrow it. It, it has had much consequence on our culture, on our life, on our country. And so you don't just change it at will because, and so she made that point. I like people that are decisive. I like the way she posed it. I didn't agree with it. And then, of course, Kavanaugh comes on and he cites five or six laws that were, in fact, on the books long enough to be precedent and were overturned, changed, including the Brown versus the Board of Education. And there were others. And whether or not they would change because they were wrong when they were passed, which, you know, when they're instituted and they, they have a life, they become an entity in themselves. So just because they were wrong when they were passed doesn't give you the ability to just overturn it and say, well, it was wrong then. No, because it has changed over time or because science, technology, or other things give you a better insight about it. But Sotomayor was like, well, what's changed? She questions the lawyers arguing on the side of pro-life. And I think the guy that was handling it was the attorney general from Mississippi. You know, he was okay. I, I thought she was sharper than he was, but he seemed to be struggling a little bit to keep up with her. But I thought, you know, he did, a, he did an okay job. It's hard being up there at the Supreme Court arguing, you know, what is arguably one of the most contentious issues that this country has, period, has had for all these 48 plus years since January 22nd of 1973 when Roe v. Wade was passed. So it was good to hear the, I want to say, professionalism of these justices. Now, anybody that knows me knows that I, I have no regard for our legal system, the court system. You don't want to get accused of something or get sued by somebody. If you don't have the money, you're going to be settling. You're going to do a plea bargain. If it's criminal, you're going to settle for some amount. If it's civil, that's the way it is. It's probably the best system in the world. Don't get me wrong. It's like I always say about our government. It's the worst government in the world, except for every other government in the world. <laughs> it's the same thing. So. I gained a little bit more, maybe a lot of bit more, of respect for the Supreme Court. Hearing the way they go at each other, I was fascinated on an intellectual basis and the fact that they kept it intellectual. The emotion was there, but it, it certainly didn't dominate. You can hear it behind their voices, every one of them. Clarence Thomas, when he was in it, man, you could just feel this man just wanting to come out and say, my purpose in being born was to end abortion in America. You could feel it coming through. You didn't feel it as much with Barrett. Coney Barrett was pretty cool, but you felt a little bit of that with Kavanaugh. And then, of course, Sotomayor and Kagan and then Roberts. Everybody has said he's so pragmatic that he lets his um, pragmatism get in the way 
of his reaching the right decision, because if the right decision may have the wrong effect, he's going to consider its effect. And it's probably what a judge should not do, but he does. To me, that's that's politics. Anyway, it was fascinating to listen to all that. And I found it to be fascinating. Did it make me feel better about things? Yeah, it actually did. Because this is going to be huge when it comes out. Now, of course, people are asking, I'm listening to different news media, people are asking, is it going to um, divide the country that much more just before, because it's coming out in June, July, just before the midterm elections, the 2022 elections. And if uh, they overturn Roe v. Wade, will that unite the pro-choices? And go, yeah, you know what? I don't, I don't think that's something that's worth thinking about, let alone you know, trying to figure out, don't spend any time on it. It's going to do what it's going to do. Let's hope that these Supreme Court justices make the right decision. And, you know, what, what that decision is, I'm not on the Supreme Court. Each and every one of us is going to have our own opinion of what should happen. Oh, women's always got the right to choose and you can't decide. They've got to bring up this baby. It's going to create all these hardships. She won't be able to get that job, get that promotion. I mean, I, I heard arguments that just fried me. I was furious. They were questions. So they weren't actually arguments, although Sodomar and Kagan did put them in there as, as arguments. Like, shouldn't we consider these things? Why, why would the state? demand that you have to bring up this child if it's going to cost you your professional career or your this or if you want i mean i'm it's like whoa it really blew me away but i hadn't thought about that from their point of view it's never occurred to me that they would think that justifies the taking away of a life and so on the other side, there was equally impressive arguments. Of course, it's impressive from a pro-life perspective because I believe in, in life. They talk about personhood. They talk about viability. Some point can they survive outside the womb. And that's the point to which they draw the line and say, you can't have an abortion after that. And I guess when they did Roe v. Wade, that was in the 24th week. So 24 weeks, that's like five months, six months, actually. So is it really six months or is it three months is 12 weeks, 15 weeks is just about close to four months. And now science can detect life that baby can suck his or her thumb. Can they feel pain? The features of forming the heart is beating. This is a human life. When do they have any sense of consciousness, I think both sides need to understand that time has changed. I had first listened to this, I think it's the Solicitor General from Mississippi, and I'm thinking to myself, man, you might have wanted to wait a while and solidify your argument before you threw it out there. Why are you going to the Supreme Court just now 
and making Sotomayor sound right. Like, oh, yeah, we've got a theoretical three-judge advantage, so let's just go and do it. And clearly, that's a good point why you wouldn't want to do it just because of that. But you do want to do it when you say, you know what? Things have changed. We have a, such a solid argument today. I didn't hear that at first. And I was concerned. I said, man, why didn't you wait a while? But it was like almost two hours that you listened. And time went on. And different attorneys general got up and talked and the questions came out. I said, oh, wait a minute. You know what? Science has changed. There is good argument. And, you know, maybe it's just the argument that should have been had from the very beginning. That's always been states' rights. And maybe, once more, the media has always been on the side of pro-choice. Always. And they've never really explained to people that each state, this is something that shouldn't be a court decision. It should be a decision made by the people of the United States of America by vote in each state or by congressional action. And when I heard that, and I had thought about that much before, well, yeah, abortion, the issue should be decided by each state. But the way they presented it, it really made more sense. And I'm thinking, why hasn't this been brought out more? Because that seems to be more in line with the Constitution of the country. So it's going to be interesting, to say the least, to see how this all comes down. And one of the things that was interesting to stop and see my friend Paul Craig, who's a retired Navy commander, when he had a long career in the Navy, did a lot of deployments, everything from Mogadishu back in the 90s, all the way to Afghanistan. I mean, he's been through it all, seen a lot of it, very active. Like so many of my friends who've retired, whatever they did, I'm so proud of them for not, you know, just serving and retiring, but for all that they do for those who are still serving and for those who sacrificed and those families, most of them, just like Jay Redmond and Paul Craig and so many others are so involved with the issues that we talk about, veteran suicide and all the PTSD issues and all the other issues. And so it was interesting to stop and see Paul. And by the way, here's an interesting thing. I'm leaving Mississippi, driving on Highway 20 all the way through from Meridian to Vicksburg, Mississippi, as I cross into Texas and I call Paul. <laughs> I say, hey, I'm, I'm going to be in Texas in a little bit. I'll be at your house in about three hours. He goes, well, I'm not home yet. I'm in Tyler. I had to visit the VA today. I saw my doctor. I go, you're in Tyler? And he goes, yeah. I said, wait a minute. The sign just said Tyler, Texas. He said, where are you? Turns out we crossed paths and stopped and got gas in the same truck stop off the 20 just past Tyler, Texas. I mean, how random is that? How often is something like that going to happen? It was crazy. So anyway, then we get to his house and he treated me. He went out. His buddy Brian was in the house. He's also got a, a German shepherd that I've known 
since that dog was a puppy, he's now almost 11 years old, his dog King. And now in the late stages of his life, just a great dog. And seeing King get old, it's kind of hard. But, you know, this is a beautiful relationship. I have it in my house. I see my dogs and Katrina with our dogs. So anyway, go to Paul's house. It was great. <laughs> I just got to say, it was great seeing King. And when we were there, we were talking. And you talk about, you know, the current situation, what's going on. Obviously, we're talking about the economy and everything. And it keeps on coming back to the media. Paul had so many thoughts about how this whole thing that we're going through, the whole dark side of America, the, the darkest has been the media just misleading us, not reporting the truth, not showing us the things that are going on, not just hiding things. And we're talking about the government shutdowns and the failures of this Biden administration. No investigation of Wuhan, of the Fauci involvement in what could happen. I mean, so many things, the inflation, how devastating it is, or the fact it's not transitory, which they said it was. Where's the media on all these things? And it was so fascinating I, as he's talking, and I'm thinking to myself, the media, if we depend on the media to translate and report on an ongoing basis what's going on with this huge decision, is it going to be colored towards the left or the right? Well, clearly it won't be the right. It'll be colored towards the pro-choice. You know it. And I hope I'm wrong. I hope I'm a big skeptic for nothing. But I'm pretty convinced of it. We don't hear them talk about shutting down pipelines and shutting down oil and gas leases and increasing taxes. That They'll talk about when they're going to raise interest rates. What's the effect of the This is what the job is. And what disturbed Paul most of all was that the media isn't talking about and shedding any real light on what happened in Afghanistan. And we're starting to let that go. So I'm going to try to get Paul on the air and maybe some of my other friends on the air on Roll Right Radio and talk about the importance of uncovering the truth about what happened in Afghanistan. Yeah, we lost 13 lives, and then we're just supposed to forget it? 13 lives that should never have been lost? And then we go ahead, and we're going to, you know, retaliate. In, in our president's words, we're going to retaliate by going after the people that created that bomb or got the, the suicide bomb to, to do that, and we're going after them. And then the next day, they go and they drone strike this car and kill 10 people, three adults and seven children of people that worked for us. Because that didn't come out right away. They didn't say, whoops, we made a mistake. No, they hid it for a day until it came out. And why isn't that on the front page every day? Why isn't what happened? And he's right. He's absolutely right. All these things that are going on, we really do depend on the media. The media doesn't tell the truth. 
The media is going to hide it. The media is going to lie. The media is going to create as much entertainment content as they possibly can so that they justify the revenue that they need to keep going. I get it all. Yes. But the media has a big responsibility in America. This country was founded on the media, founded on the pamphlets and the papers and Paul Richard's diary, Ben Franklin, Thomas Paine. I mean, common sense. This is what America was founded on. And if we lose that, we're going to lose the country. And I think we need to, as individuals, demand the truth out of this media. And I think that's why I feel that these podcasts that are coming up all over the place, there's so many of us doing these podcasts because we're not hearing the truth for the mainstream media. That's been going on for a long time. And now, fighting back, podcasters. Podcasters. That's why I say, Roll Right Radio, Truth, Justice, and the American Way. I'll be back in San Diego. Have a great weekend. Welcome to December. We're coming to the end of a year. What a heck of a year this was. I don't want to see another one like it. We thought 2020 was bad. Oh, my God. But it's going to get better. 22 is going to be a great year. I'm New York, Mike. Thanks for listening. Thanks for being there. Thanks for subscribing. Tell your friends. Tell your enemies. Just get them to subscribe. This is Roll Right Radio. I'm out. Thanks for listening to the Roll Right Radio podcast. Listen, follow, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts.